Welcome to Season 6 of Paper Talk, where we talk about tips and tricks on navigating and building your small creative business. I'm Quinn Nguyen of Pinga Mosey. I'm Jessie Chu of Crafted to Bloom. And I'm Sarah Kim of Handmade by Sarah Kim. In Season 6, we'll be sharing our experiences and insights on running a small creative business from managing finances to building your brand. We'll also be interviewing other small business owners and experts in the field to get their perspectives and advice. So join us as we dive into the world of small creative businesses and help you take it to the next level. Welcome back to Paper Talk. We want to share some tips and tricks on what you need to think about when you're hosting your own paper flower workshops. I would say right now my schedule is getting more and more packed up with people approaching me with workshops. How do you go about proposing paper flower workshops to venues and how do you respond to venues that want you to teach paper flower workshops at their place? I would say right now for me, I have a lot of classes at a specific place that I go to all the time. So I did find my home in a sense for my workshop and they're amazing because they seriously do everything. They market for me. They even help you set up. They also have an amazing space. So I think that's also very important. Find a place that has a bathroom, air conditioner, essentials like parking space. But I do get approached by other places that wants to have me as a workshop person there. I think at this point in my however many years that I've been doing it, Mm -hmm. I am now a little bit more picky, like the convenience factor for me, at least just because I have a family. I'm trying to give up my Saturdays to I don't want to go to a place where they don't have air conditioner Mm -hmm. because there is such places. I would say you just need to find like a place that you consistently want to go to. But in the beginning, I did have to test it all out, right? I did have to go to different places and it definitely looks different compared to what it was like before the pandemic and after the pandemic. From now, I don't even do workshops as much as I used to before, but this is important for paper flower makers specifically because workshops are actually a pretty good way to make money and it's fun. You don't have to make thousands of flowers. You're just making one and you're teaching it and it's like a fun time. So I think it's a pretty good thing you can add to your business. Mm -hmm. How do you develop relationship with a venue? Since you mentioned that you have a home now, how did you build that relationship and how did that come about? Luckily, the place that I go to often, they made it so that the workshop is a important part of their business. Mm -hmm. So they focus a lot on workshops. Mm -hmm. They host me, they host other workshops. So it's a specific place for Southern California locals to go to if they want to learn something. So I think that's important. It's hard to do it all on your own, right? If you come up with your own venue and then you have to promote it for yourself, it's a little bit harder. Initially, they asked me to come. I want to say in Southern California, I was one of the first people to go and do workshops. Maybe that was the reason why they reached out to me. How do you figure out how many students that you can handle? Is it through trial and error or you just, I know I can handle this number and then just go for it? I, yeah, I want to say it's trial and error. I did do a class that was like hundreds of people and it's a little different. So I think every class is going to look a little different compared to like how many people you have. When I did a hundred plus class, it was very basic. I did not expect people to even finish their flower. Mm-hmm. It's really just a presentation rather than a workshop. Yeah. And then I think my happy number is 20 and that's usually the number that I usually go with, 20 to 25. Mm -hmm. But I've done a class up to 40 people and it wasn't bad. But when it becomes 40 people, I don't do hot glue, which is also tricky because then it takes longer for it to dry and it gets a little bit trickier to just make flowers. So that's all, yeah, that's all trial and error. That's why we have this episode so that people could, you know, figure out what they want to make. Yeah. 
Also, speaking of hot glue guns, making sure you have enough outlet and extension cords, because I know that some venues, they don't have enough outlets to plug in all the different hot glue guns. Yeah. I think about. So I actually use battery run glue guns. Oh, that's and awesome. And I time myself. Yeah. And so I literally have only maybe 45 minutes before it starts dying on me. 45 minutes for doing all the gluing part. So my classes usually run two hours. One hour we cut. 45 minutes we will do the glue gun and then 15 minutes we wrap it up. So I love that. I did not know yeah. there are battery operated glue guns. I need to there find There are <laughs> and they're not efficient for your regular use. But for my classes, I invested in them. I bought one hot glue gun for two people and I have a set for a class that would be 40 people. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. That's such a good tip. I've been doing it for so long. It's been developed over the time, really, because in the beginning I was like, okay, all these hot glue guns are going to, I don't know, have an outage or something. I don't know. And tripping over the wires. That's another concern. Yeah. So Brent, I've never mm-hmm. heard anyone bring battery operated glue gun. That's awesome. Yeah. You do have to do some trial and error with that too, because you only have so much time mm-hmm. to glue though. That is great. Oh my gosh. And then <laughs> supplies. How about setting up the classrooms? How do you set it up? I have a little system in place, but basically I do really putting in details to my brand. Mm-hmm. So I think branding is very important. I make sure it's a very much of a experience. It might be a little different with you, but for me, my classes are very much for beginner friendly. A lot of my classes have students that have never even cut before. Like the last time they cut was in grade school. They come and they're like, oh, I've never even cut paper. It's To me, it's more of an experience. It's like ambiance. I definitely make sure that's very important. So I try to create like a cute little space. I have little centerpieces. I also have like community tools. So I will haul it to all my different classes. Mm -hmm. I have that kind of like in a little section. That's something that they can't take. Mm -hmm. And then there's the part that they could take. So I I have a setup going on and it's pretty consistent now, but that's again, trial and error. You have to go through at least a few classes to figure out your groove in that, in your part. I think it's really important to do like a lot of branding when it comes to workshops because People love taking pictures and taking pictures of your workshop and like their experience. So exactly. I totally believe in that too. Having the student walk into the classroom where it's very pretty because most of the students you have to admit are mostly females and As a girl, I like a very beautiful setting where it's going to give me that beautiful ambiance of relaxation, having fun with my girlfriends, because usually I'll bring another friend with me because it's so much more fun to bring a friend. And you have to understand that too, that you can't rush the class. You have to go with their pace and it's making sure that they have a great experience versus you being able to teach something. And Yes, you have to be a really great teacher because you have to balance the slow students versus a really fast student. And there will be sometime groups of girls that will come in and all they want to do is hang out with each other and make a flower. And you want all the students to have a successful experience. So sometimes you might step in and kind of, oh, let me show you how to do this or let me show you how to glue this part and speed them along to catch up with the other students. But you do it in a very unintrusive way and a very friendly way to make sure that you're not lecturing them, but also giving them experience that they want. That's a hard one because sometimes... It's like on my face where I'm like, hello, <laughs> I got to finish up. Yeah. Yes, yes. I want to nicely say, hello, it's, you still have to catch up, but it's really hard to like not be teacher mode, I guess. But yes. yeah, because it is an experience, but yeah, it's a little tricky because you still 
And you have to feel the room, right? You have to sense that some of the people are actually upset that you're not hurrying up. Mm -hmm. And then some people, like when you have 20 people, they're not all, they're not all friends. They are all, yeah, different pockets of groups of people. And I think that came with experience for me too, like different dynamics of groups of people that you're working with. But yeah, it is, it's tricky when it comes to telling them to catch up. I also want to add a little bit more of the talking part. Yes, you're explaining techniques, but don't forget to share stories of how you came to where you are. And also there will be moments of time where silence is actually good. So people can be studious and be working on their pieces versus you filling in the silence. So that's something to think about. Read the room is a really great term to know when you need to fill the silence, know when there needs to be silence for people to catch up when there's a difficult section of the flower that people mm-hmm. need to work on. And at one point, like I was doing workshops like every week. So amazing. there would be a class that would be really loud. Yeah. Everybody is talking and everybody's having a like the time of their life. Mm-hmm. And then the following week, I would have a class that is like super good and like really quick <laughs> and doesn't talk. So uh, yeah, you don't know what to expect really. So you have to be ready for either. Yeah. And be ready to step in if you need to help someone and supply. Let's talk about supplies. When you put together each student kit, how do you put it together? Do you have enough just for one flower, a little bit extra supplies in case they mess up? Or do you give extra supplies so they could take it home and make another flower or two? I put extra supplies for them to take it home. But it was a trial and error process again. But it was like in the beginning, I had things more pre-cut. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like it was a lot of work for me in advance to pre-cut yes. all these things. So then I had to revamp my class to make it so that it's okay that they could cut on their own. So I don't actually, now it's just paper, really. The packet is just a bunch of paper and some stems and wire. Yeah. But now I include a couple different things. This took a lot of different times in my like 10 years that I've been doing it, redoing it over and over. There was a time in before where I would just have things pre-cut, but then there were certain things that I didn't provide. And then I changed it like right before the pandemic. And then I changed it again after the pandemic to where I am right now. So I, right now it looks a little different. That's good. I like that you're always constantly reevaluating what you're doing and giving to the students to make sure that they have the best experience for yourself and for them. Yeah, it'll be always a work in progress. Typically your class is probably about two hours, you would say? Yeah, my classes are two hours mm-hmm. and I timed it just right to go through two flowers. So we go through a rose, an anemone and a eucalyptus. Oh, that's awesome. I go through the flowers first and then I do the eucalyptus at the end if we have time. So sometimes we could go through it and sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we only did one flower and then one would be their lab time where they get to just make an extra one for themselves. This is my revamped version of my class where I'm doing the rose and the anemone. I like where it is now. I recently just did an orchid class. That was my first time doing the orchid. And timing that was tricky too. I had to run it through before I went to my class to make sure that we can finish all the pieces to an orchid. But the orchid is actually really easy because it's like the same thing over and over. It's just you have to have that many flowers on an orchid to look you know, substantial. We did it in two hours and people had fun doing it. And that's amazing. I want to say it it was more fun than the rose and the anemone. Mm -hmm. People get more stressed out with that. (laughs) I wonder why you would think the orchid, because it looks so elegant and there aren't as many pieces, but the pieces that do show is 
there's like a little face to it. And are you having them bark it up or how does that work? So the way I do the orchids is I print the pattern. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why they like it much more. Like it's more satisfying at the end because it does look more complete and it doesn't really have to do with their skill level. Whereas the rose and the anemone, you could mess up technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I feel like maybe that's why they're not as satisfied with the rose and the anemone. But I always have to remind them at the end, this is your first flower. Some of you guys have never even cut before since your grade school. So you should be impressed with your flower because you're coming out with a flower. Yeah. But sometimes people get upset over that. Mm -hmm. I do have perfectionists that come and they're like, I need the exact measurements and I need you to go step by step. Whereas I'm more, this is semi beginner friendly and it's supposed to be like a fun experience rather than making it a perfect flower. I would love to take a class from you. That sounds super fun. I actually want to take a crepe flower class because I want to know how to like manipulate that and just know more about different paper. And I have some paper. It's just I've never really used it before. So I know we should do. Yeah, we should make flowers together (laughs) with a different paper. When I do my own workshop, I would say most of the students have never touched crepe paper before. They might have touched Mm -hmm. streamers paper, but that's really flimsy and it doesn't have enough stretch in it to really hold a petal. So what I do is I always have sample packets with different colors, scraps that I've used in the past. And I just give it to them. It's like, here's your chance to play with it. Pull it cup it, tug it, Mm -hmm. cut it. That way they understand because there are grain lines in the crepe paper that will mimic the petal veins, which is really cool. And so I let, Mm -hmm. I give them when I'm doing the introductions of this is what we're doing. There's a packet of paper, feel free to open it and play with it as I'm continuing to talk. So they get familiar with it and they can mess up. So when we actually do come to the part of cutting out the petal templates and things like that, it's, they're already somewhat familiar with it and they know exactly what I'm talking about when you're looking at the grain. And I always have a step-by-step booklet that each student can take home with them. And I'm hoping to do in the future, have a QR code in my booklet. So if they wanted the video, Mm. because crepe paper, there's so many different steps in there that they can actually do the QR code and hop onto the video component to remake it again. Because sometimes you're such in the moment of doing certain things that you forget, was I supposed to do this or supposed to do that? And sometimes written instructions is great, but seeing a video demonstration it up close and personal, that really really does help quite a bit when you're doing paper flowers in crepe form. Yeah, I actually have a link for them specifically, and they could find all the tutorials that go along with the flowers that I make so that when they go home, I feel, yes, you didn't have to take the workshop and you can just follow my tutorial, but it's a little different when you get to experience it in person together and then go watch my three minute version of it. Yeah, I do have a like a link to that. And Do you feel like that's a new trend that teachers are now giving to their students because now video format is upfront and close like Instagram with their reels and TikTok with their videos and of course YouTube. It's just videos everywhere. I feel like that's something that used to be optional but now I feel like it's a thing now. Yeah, I feel like videos is now like your bare minimum. Right? So something to think about if you're thinking about doing a workshop, think about doing videos and I would say this is like a passive income. If you 
you can record once and put it up for sale, that video is making you money without you thinking about it or working at it. It's a great way for mm-hmm. a passive income. Yeah, you can even do online workshops. And at one point, especially during the pandemic, I decided to do some online workshops instead of like in-person ones. Mm-hmm. So there was a time where you would just purchase my video in a sense. Yeah. And it'll take you step by step. But I do obviously love like the in-person experience, right? There's something just more special of having all your materials in place. And like I said, I try to make sure all my setup is very intentional. So I want to make sure it's it's worthwhile being there in person compared to just watching me on a YouTube video. But it's still an option if you don't if you can't find a place to do your workshops at, you should definitely try doing online classes too. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. How do you go about pricing your workshops? Yeah, I think a lot of things will tie in to your cost because, okay, so I want to say it's a little, there might be some disclosure, so I can't get into too much detail, but you have a cost that you have to pay your venue. So it it will depend on that. And I want to say there are times where venues wanted 50% of the cut and that's a lot. So then I can't make my classes really affordable. Mm -mm. Currently, it's not a 50% cut. It's actually pretty fair for my cost where I do my classes at. And sometimes it's even free. So I would say you try to look for a place that's free. I used to do them at a store called West Elm and they'll be like at the mall, they'll be at like cute places and they never asked for a venue cost. You just go in there and you ask them, I'm a local artist and I want to do a class here. Would you want to do it with me? And they usually say yes. They love supporting local artists. Mm -hmm. So I would say you check out a store nearby like that, whether it's like a West Elm. I didn't do a class, but I did a little pop-up with Madewell. Mm -hmm. So I want to say like different stores are always willing to host you for free. That is very true. Pottery Barn is another one. If you have a 50% cut with a venue, you may or may not even want to do that. And I've done it before where it was 50%, but it was worth it because it was really cute there. And they had a lot of following on their social media. So I knew it was going to be like worth it in a sense. But yeah, the prices will vary. My cost goes somewhere between $65 to $75 per person. And I also do private classes for like birthdays and bridal showers or bachelorette parties kind of thing. But they'll be basically starting at 65 to 75, depending on what type of flower you're making. That's very true. Yeah. Mine's a little bit higher just because I do add a little bit more supplies and my classes are a little bit longer because the flowers that I do teach or people want to learn from is a little bit more, not beginner, but a little bit more middle to beginner that takes a little bit more time and effort. And I always do make sure that I am pricing out all the materials. And then sometimes I will include scissors. Sometimes I won't. It depends on the price point of the class and how much the venue is taking their cut. I feel like you have to know what your target audience is for this my target audience is definitely beginner friendly. And if that's the case, they're not willing to pay more than what you expect from like a cooking class, I would assume. But there'll be classes that are more advanced friendly that are people are willing to invest in because, you know, they want to take this to the next level. So I think you can do classes that are definitely more expensive and more intense. And I actually do one-on-one classes that are a little bit more pricier than this. But and I do a minimum amount of hours you need to be with me. and And it's definitely more in detail. But uh, that's for more advanced if you're going to take it to the next level and maybe even run a small business kind of thing. How do you go about promoting your workshop? I'm just on social media doing all of that. But in the past, I've actually done, what is it, Evite stuff? But, uh, and like Facebook and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think in the past, but that was like 
much more popular where you would advertise like events locally. Yeah. But now I'm just on social media and people follow me and find my classes through that. And I'm actually very consistent with doing my classes, at least seasonally now. So you could expect me to do a class during Valentine's Day, during Mother's Day. So a lot of the people that want to take the classes, they'll probably look me up during that time and be like, okay, I want to take a class during that time. So I do say if you want to find the best results with doing workshops, you have to do it pretty often so that people can always remember. Because a lot of times that one date that you're going to offer your class, not everyone's going to be available. Do you find that Putting your workshop around special holidays like Mother's Day, Valentine's or Christmas time, that really helps with the numbers versus doing it randomly? I don't know because it's tricky because I know everybody's going on vacation or they're going to go out with their moms, not to my class. So it is a little bit like a hit or miss. But a lot of times when I'm doing my classes during Christmas, during Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, it's always a sold out class Mm -hmm. and it is fun. And it's like an experience you get to bring your, your friend during that time for that purpose. So I would say a seasonal thing is fun. So my final component of how to do a great workshop is how do you get the testimonials to promote your next workshop? I would say you need to just have it all over your social media and people will be commenting on it. And I have a hashtag for my workshops where I could post their work. And lately my thing these days is I like to take a picture or a video of their final flowers. Mm -hmm. So I get to showcase all my students' work. And they might not be perfect, but I think they're very cute and they all come out really nice. And it's it's cool to see that some of these people have never made anything and they get to come out with like an orchid or a flower. So I would say my testimonials look a little different now. I'm not actually asking specifically for a review, but it's more like what they came out with at the end. One tip I want to give everyone is if you're on social media, you know, you have the highlights in your stories. And if your students are sharing it in their stories and you mm-hmm. reshare it on your story, there's a little three little button at the very bottom. You can add it to your highlight. And if you name your highlight workshop or you can say student work, you can add that on there. So other people that are thinking about taking workshops, like, oh, I wonder how my flowers going to look like. And they can see the other student work. It's a great way to promote without promoting. Yeah, definitely do that. I love sharing what they come out with at the end. And the workshop highlight is also just to show you what the space looks like, usually what the kit will come, what it looks like on your table. So I think definitely having a section of like your workshop portfolio in a sense. Yeah, that helps a lot. It's important. I don't think it necessarily has to be like a review of, oh, I had a great time or whatever, but it's more, what are we going to do at the class? I really like that. It's something that you don't have to push to get. You can just unintrusively share the results. If you have any questions about doing your own workshops, DM us on Instagram under Paper Talk Podcast. You can always email us to go to our website at papertalkpodcast.com. And to end the show, we always talk about our favorite snacks for this week. Sarah, what is your favorite snack this week? My favorite snack is not a snack. It's actually a drink. I take it like a snack because it's really (laughs) yummy. It's the lemon lime Olipop and it's like your new take of soda and it's not a sparkling water. It is more like a soda, but it's a little bit healthier than a soda. I don't think they have that much sugar in it, but it it tastes really good. So the lemon lime one is their version of a Uh 7-Up and tastes really good. So it's a nice little pick-me-up in the middle of the day, you know? Yes. I really love their grape flavor. That's a new one that just came out and I love it. 
That one's my favorite too. I actually really like their apple crisp one, but it's Ooh. only seasonal during the winter because it's supposed to be like the apple cider. I'll have to take a look at that when it comes out because I did yeah. not see that. I was like, oh, that sounds like a really good one. <laughs> what about you? My favorite snack right now is, it's a classic. It's from Trader Joe. As you hear all the different snack that comes up, I literally only shop pretty much at Trader Joe or Costco because they're like five minutes from my house and it's just really Same. easy to get to. So I always make sure in my cupboard, I have the Trader Joe popcorn, herb and spices. It's just really tasty Ooh. and it's not too salty, but it has a lot of flavor and it's an easy low calorie snack, which I love. I love popcorn too. Mm, so good. When I go to the movies, I always have to get a bag of popcorn. Yes. And we get free refills at my theater. <gasps> what? That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I have to ask you, this is something my friends turn me on. There's two different things. I have one from another friend that buys, it's the chocolate crunch. So they're like rice crispy, but dipped in chocolate. And so they little clusters. So what they do is they dump it into the popcorn. And so as you're eating the salty, buttery popcorn, you'll get a bit of chocolate, which is surprisingly so delicious. And then oh, I love that. It's really good. And then my Hawaiian friend will bring in those Japanese crackers with a seaweed on it. Uh -huh. They would put it in the popcorn. And so you get a nice crunch along with the oh. popcorn. It's so good. So it really opens my eyes to like, oh, you can add other things to your popcorn. It's delicious. I need to go get popcorn right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you again on Paper Talk Podcast.